Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. The Gilded Age just announced that it has been renewed for season three. So while you're waiting for that, you can currently experience the Gilded Age up close and learn more about the time period's art and cultural history by visiting an exhibition at the Nassau County Museum of Art. We think of the Gilded Age and immediately think of robber barons and hyper-capitalist industries of Manhattan, but this exhibition is called Our Gilded Age, in part because Long Island played a significant role in the Gilded Age culture. The estates of wealthy business tycoons line Long Island's Gold Coast, including the very own estate that is now the Nassau County Museum. In the show, there are pristine portraits of Gilded Age figures by John Singer Sargent. There are cabinets, dressers, other furniture from Gilded Age era homes. The exhibit also focuses on the upstairs, downstairs dynamics of many Gilded Age era estates, shining alike on workers who spent their days serving. Our Gilded Age is on view through March 10th at the Nassau County Museum of Art and curators Franklin Perrell join us now. Did I get your last name right? It's Franklin Hill Perel. Franklin Hill Perel. Franklin, thank, thank you, you for being with thank us. You. All right, Alex, I'm going to go for yours as well. Alex Macaro. That's correct. Yes, Alex, welcome. Thanks for both of you for coming into the studio. Um, we have spoken about this before, but just so everyone can start at the same place. Franklin, what's the general time era of the Gilded Age? What is, he ref- what is Mark Twain referring to? Mark Twain coined the term. Gilded Age starts in 1870 and continues to about 1920. And the time frame post-Civil War, there was a great deal of industrial wealth as a result of new industries, as a result of immigration creating, uh, creating a market and creating a workforce and innovation in mining and technology and the entrepreneurial spirit, a lot like the internet culture of the last 30 years. <laughs> so consequently, Americans for the first time had a chance to travel to Europe, see great palaces, see great art. Uh, their standard prior to that had been Philadelphia, New York, or Charleston, and it really wasn't quite up to the standard of Rome and Paris. Mm. Their eyes were open, and they knew they wanted to be participants like the great aristocrats whom they encountered on their European travels. That lasted until it was pretty much shut down by World War I, but along the way, a phenomenal amount of uh, significant art mm-hmm. and entirely new art movements were engendered because of this, of this appetite for opulence. So we know about Manhattan setting in the Gilded Age. I think most people know. We walk around the city. What about Long Island? Why is that region important to considering the Gilded Age's legacy and history, Alex? I think Long Island is very important because a lot of these big mansions and big palatial estates were located in this area, such as Old Westbury Gardens in Westbury, such as the Bryce Frick Mansion, which is now the Nassau County Museum of Art. So I think it's important to consider Long Island because it was a very important area of the Gilded Age. And I think also that it was essential with all of these country estates as well. Mm, The country estates. City and country, as they say. Um, Tell us about the Nassau County Museum. Tell us about the building. 
who was its owner? When was it constructed? Well, the property at once was belonged to William Cullen Bryant, one of the greatest 19th century romantic poets. Heard of him. <laughs> and as these Gilded Age gazillionaires uh, wanted to emulate the lifestyle of uh, British country properties that they saw on their travels, mm-hmm. uh, one of these uh, gentlemen, a man named Lloyd Bryce, who was a publisher of the North American Review, was also a publisher of the works of Edith Wharton, at that time, um, engaged an architect named Ogden Codman. And Codman's famous for being the design partner with Edith Wharton in her book, Decoration of Houses. Uh, Codman, fabulous Beaux-Arts era architect, mm-hmm. uh, emulating the styles uh, of neoclassicism. He trained, in, trained initially in Boston and then studied the great buildings of Europe and emulated that in his work. Uh, Bryce commissioned Codman in 1900 to build on property that he had bought from the heirs of William Cullen Bryant on a high orchard overlooking Roslyn Harbor and constructed this neoclassical mansion uh, on the pattern of a British country house, a specific one. Uh, The Fricks acquired it in 1917, and the basis for that was Henry Clay Frick, who had just completed his 1 East 70th Street today, the Frick Collection, um, had a a son, Mm -hmm. Childs Frick, uh, married, and the wife, uh, post-World War I, returning son as a veteran, wife was pregnant with the fourth child. Her father-in-law thought it would be a great idea to buy her a diamond huge diamond from Tiffany, and she said, nothing doing. I need a country house to bring up my children in. <laughs> and he went shopping for North Shore, Long Island real estate, and acquired the, and acquired the property that's now the Nassau County Museum. That's a woman after my own heart. Absolutely. Forget the jewelry. Let's go for the real estate. <laughs> uh, Alex, when you think about uh, the, the museum, what's a part of it you could describe to someone who's never been there before that really sort of gets at the essence of, of the Gilded Age, whether it's a staircase or a, a fixture. It is a 145-acre county preserve uh, on which is located a palatial Gilded Age mansion. And we also have a lot of modern sculpture on the property, as mm-hmm. well as trails and formal gardens that were designed for Mrs. Frick by a noted garden designer named mm-hmm. Marion Kruger Coffin. But essentially, we are a little oasis in the midst of the bustling area of Long Island. Those gardens, I bet they're beautiful. Oh, they're gorgeous. Uh, Franklin, who were some of the notable Gilded Age historical figures who lived on Long Island in the era? Well, of course, there was Theodore Roosevelt, who actually was a guest at the Nassau Museum when it was owned by the Bryces. Uh, He lived in Oyster Bay. The Phipps family, of course, with Old Westbury Gardens in Old Westbury. The Coe family, uh, which is today planting fields. Um, The uh, the CW Post, uh, Long Island University. uh, The the Huttons were there. And uh, we can think of a number of families. The the Webbs, the the Pratts in in Glen Cove. uh, The Vanderbilts in in Centerport. Whitney's and Vanderbilt's mm-hmm. throughout the North Shore. And uh, many of these properties are today preserved as schools or as country clubs or other environments. Uh, forgive me if this is a left uh, left field question. Why would someone go to Long Island versus going to Newport? Ah, that's a good question. 
Uh, Long Island, Long Island developed as a resort largely because of the proximity to New York and Long Island Sound, mm-hmm. and it was it proved to be a Newport alternative. And I think it really took the took the thunder off of Newport uh, around by around 1900. I think Newport was the pl- was really the place mm-hmm. in the 1880s. But um, the North Shore of Long Island gained steam, and I think it had to do with the immediacy of its uh, proximity to uh, to to the scene of the action in Manhattan. Manhattan. We're talking about the exhibition at the NASA County Museum of Art, Our Gilded Age, which is on view through March 10th. My guests are Franklin Hill Perel and Alex Macaro. Alex, on the website, it says the show draws on the literary history of Long Island. What's an example of Long Island literary history? Walt Whitman himself was a Long Islander. He was born in Huntington, and he was very prominent, especially in Brooklyn and on Long Island as well. So, And we also have um, the history of William Cullen Bryant, a literary figure himself. Anyone notable you would like to add to that list, Franklin? I think I think that cover that covers okay. it. There are a lot of portraits on view at the exhibition. I, what's the portrait mean at this time? Ah, I think the portrait at this at this moment, and I think of Henry Clay Frick as a as a as a, as setting a standard, a tone mm. of what you might call grand manner portraiture. If you go to One East Seventieth Frick collection, you will see Rubens, Rembrandt, uh, Van Dyck. Um, the the uh, Gainsborough and the like, and American collectors were looking to follow that notion. So the Sargents, the Paxtons, the John White Alexanders mm-hmm. that we have, mm-hmm. uh, William Merritt Chase, are all uh, emulating the spirit of that that grand manner portraiture that collectors like Frick were acquiring in Europe. And it's a fascinating thing. Um, one note about the mansion itself. Uh, and a Frick connection is that when Frick Frick uh, bought the house for his son, he also brought with him another designer, Sir Charles Ca- Sir Charles Allen, mm-hmm. and Allen did the interiors that are now in the Frick in New York. Our primary main gallery is a lot like the Frick's main gallery. Essentially, it had the same designer, hmm. and the room was refitted with boiseries, woodwork from another 18th century house in Britain, shut down due to death duties, rather like a Downton Abbey kind of a story. Mm -hmm. And when you go into our main gallery and you see our American portraits, it's very much like going into the Frick in New York and seeing 17th and 18th century European portraits because the Americans that we have are emulating that kind of scale. And in a way, rather like the Frick in New York, we've populated the room also with furniture, mm. so that the furniture, when uh, never before in the history of the museum, and I've been involved for more than 25 years, have I seen it look this good in terms of <laughs> a room as an interior. Mm-hmm. It really, what we have in the show, because it uh, reflects the house and its mm. era and the kind of things somebody of that moment would have experienced. And I think that's why that title is so apt, Our Gilded Age, because suddenly the house and its context and its architecture uh, become forefronted as a primary artifact in the show itself and creates the context experientially of looking oh, – it's almost like a time travel when you walk oh, in, wow. walk through the galleries. We're discussing Our Gilded Age at the Nassau County Museum of Art. We'll have more after a quick break. This is all of it.
This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. We are talking about an exhibition at the Nassau County Museum of Art called Our Gilded Age. It's on view through March 10th. My guests are curators Franklin Hill Perel and Alex McGarrow. So a big part of the exhibition highlights the upstairs-downstairs dynamic that we've all seen in the TV show. Uh, why was this an important feature as part of the exhibition? Alex, I'll ask you to go first. Sure. This is an essential part of the exhibition because these were the figures that made these grand estates happen. They polished the silver. They sewed luxurious dresses. They cooked the meals. These were the behind-the-scenes people of the Gilded Age. And too often are they really untold. Are mm-hmm. they not really featured in Gilded Age presentations? And in our exhibition, we seek to sort of present these untold histories, these hidden histories of the Gilded Age. So it's very important to highlight the everyday Gilded Age, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it provides a good deal of context. Absolutely. To what life was like. Um, when we think about the the downstairs process, um, it's very easy to find out the history of the Vanderbilts and the Roosevelts. What was the research process like? It was a lot of library and archival research, thanks to a library on Long Island called the Bryant Library, which is located in Roslyn. And it was thanks to the archives Mm -hmm. that possess a detailed account of the son of a chauffeur who very much highlighted the everyday and detailed meticulous workings of an estate called Harbor Hill, which was nearby um, the estate of Clarence Mackey, the telecommunications heir. And it really details and highlights the everyday workings of an estate. So that was from that, from that research, I was able to contextualize the Gilded Age within this upstairs downstairs context. It's interesting. We got a text from someone that says, I work for the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Long Island, which includes Brooklyn and Queens, and parts of season two of the Gilded Age were filmed on our campus in Garden City and inside our historic buildings. This is further evidence there are parts of Long Island, especially the architecture that reflect the period. Thank you for, that's Marie, who, Reverend Marie, who texted in. Thank you, Reverend Marie. Um, what, Franklin, what would you want people to understand about the typical day of a servant in a Gilded Age mansion? Well, I think Alex would be better Sure. So they would essentially ha- do everyday tasks such as um, polishing the silver, um, cooking the meals. But it was a hierarchical system of servants, too. Hmm. So there were up, upper-level house. Uh, household staff, such as the housekeeper and the butler, who would supervise the staff. And the lower level, so to speak, how, housekeepers that would work on the work on the gardens, work on the the estate, but also there were a lot of tasks that everybody um, were w- responsible mm-hmm. for doing. People are very into this. We've got someone who's called in, Emmeline from Ossining. Uh, who's had some experience. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much, Allison. Um, I'm remembering listening to your show that in the 70s, when I was a student at Bank Street College, there was a woman in my advisory group who owned, she and her husband owned the former estate of J.P. Morgan on Morgan Island. Mm -hmm. And she invited everybody, like four or five of us, to her her place on Morgan Island. And it was amazing. There were pre-Goblin 
tapestries on the wall. And it was just an amazing, amazing spot. Um, and I just wondered if that will fits into the category of Gilded Age. First and of all, where, where's Morgan where Island, we, Emily? It's in Glen Cove, or it's outside of, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's in a little island. You had to go over a little bridge, a little teeny bridge. And um, she took us around in a horse-drawn buggy and <laughs> said my dog could come and Bigfoot just chased after a rabbit or something. And it was a long time ago now. It's about 50 years or so. But I remember like I'd never seen a place like that. <laughs> wow. Emily, thank you for calling in. You were nodding in uh, agreement. agreement. Yes, acknowledgement. Yes. Um, what are some of the, uh, the objects that we'll see for the downstairs portion, the servants portion in this exhibition? So not only do we see the grand items of portraits and paintings and decorative items, but for this purpose, we see a lot of everyday items that the household staff would use, such as a two-man cider press, such as copper and cookware, such as china, that they would serve these lavish meals on. So we really present a wide variety of subject material and objects in this exhibition. So we're going to head back upstairs, Franklin. I teased in the intro that there's work from John Singer Sargent. What will people see? Well, again, this is a- Alex found this in- oh. incre- incredible resource. He found he found um, tell us about that drawing with the four heads in it. So this drawing is an early figure study by Sargent uh, from a private collection that is from his early career, about 1875 or so, when he was traveling throughout the south of France because he was a very itinerant artist, a very um, traveling artist as well. So he did these drawings um some of which are in color from watercolor that present and highlight the sailors of the port of Nice. So this drawing is is a rare drawing that we have the opportunity to exhibit in this show. And I should mention, we have another thing that we, we at the last minute came to. We have some great loans from institutions nearby, like Raynham Hall in mm-hmm. Oyster Bay, Sagamore Hill, Old Westbury Gardens. I may have left out, left out one or two. But um, we have a drawing of Edith Kermit Caro, Mrs. Roosevelt, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Theodore Roosevelt from Sagamore Hill. Wow. And it's a, it's a, it's a rarely shown uh, work from the archives that is typically not on display and such a work in charcoal is a little bit sensitive to light, mm-hmm. etc. So that's a terrific thing. And then we have another oil that Sargent uh, portrayed his painting restorer. Yes, Daniel Nolan is his name. He worked for Copley Gallery in Boston and he restored one of Sargent's paintings in the 1910s. And in 1917, as a thank you present to Daniel Nolan, because Sargent had largely largely given up portrait painting commissions by 1907. Mm-hmm. So he painted this as a present for his friend Daniel Nolan. And you can see in the ga- in the painting on the top, it's dedicated to my friend Daniel J. Nolan. Wow, that's so that's amazing. Interesting. It can take you right back to the moment. I noticed in some of the imagery that was sent over, uh, dresses. You know, you made me think, and Alex made me think mm-hmm. also, of a painting that I must mention because mm-hmm. I think it's the star. There are a few that are stars of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chase portrait of his mm-hmm. daughter and and the and son-in-law, amazing. Uh, but the this particular one is Sargent-esque 
is the um, Cecilia Bow portrait of um, Mrs. John Fred- Frederick Lewis. Yeah, Mrs. John Frederick Lewis and her son, Junior. Mm-hmm. And this painting is bigger than life size, mm-hmm. and it has a piece of furniture in it that's gilt. Mm-hmm. And we have next to it this wonderful loan from European decorative arts mm-hmm. of the Millet piece of furniture who's the top designer of the Belle Epoque. And we have this cabinet next to this painting, and it's as if the, pa- the cabinet is in the painting. And the this work by Cecilia Bow. if you came into the gallery, you would say it's the best sergeant you'd ever seen. <laughs> and that was exactly how it was characterized by Bernard Berenson, who mm-hmm. saw a Cecilia Bow like that on an exhibition and said, this is the best sergeant I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Franklin, you're going to be giving a talk this Sunday at the museum at 3 p.m. open to the public. Would you give us a preview? Oh, that it, what that is, is in a way, it's a, it's a behind-the-scenes walkthrough of the exhibition. Because I think prior to that, we hope that visitors to the museum will partake of the regular 2 o'clock tour. Alex, these are every day, aren't they? They're every day. Yeah. They're every day at 2 p.m. So the docents will lead a walkthrough mm-hmm. at 2, and then the participants in the walkthrough can come in, I think where there's a, uh, come into the lecture mm-hmm. at 3, and then they'll hear us talk about the backstory of how we acquired the works of art and if, uh, from the lenders, obviously, mm-hmm. and, the, <clears throat> and also the story of excuse me, the story of the of the context of the rooms that they have seen and how these rooms were used mm. by the Fricks and by the Bryces mm-hmm. and how these paintings then echo those circumstances. Alex, what do you hope people walk away from after the show? Learning, knowing, thinking about? I think they, I would want visitors to really get a better picture of the Gilded Age, not only the glamour side of the Gilded Age, but the everyday aspect of the Gilded Age. So... I really would like them to get a better picture of our museum in in this setting Mm -hmm. and just get a better overview of the history of this period. You have a month left to see Our Gilded Age at the Nassau County Museum of Art. It is up through March 10th. My guests have been curators Franklin Perel and Alex Macaro. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. And that is all of it for today. I'm Allison Stewart. I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you. I will meet you back here next time. This is Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, the Science Friday team has been reporting high-quality science and technology news, making science fun for curious people by covering everything from the outer reaches of space to the rapidly changing world of AI to the tiniest microbes in our bodies. Audiences trust our show because they know we're driven by a mission to inform and serve listeners first and foremost with important news they won't get anywhere else. And our sponsors benefit from that halo effect. For more information on becoming a sponsor, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.